Welcome to the Poison Honey Podcast, where we discuss the bitter truths of life with raw vulnerability, honesty, and a dash of humor. I am your host, Manorak of Grey, artist and writer, author of A Tale of Her, which is the sponsor of this podcast. So if you want to support us, consider getting the book. It is a short story with poetry and artwork all done by me. If poetry is not your thing or you just don't have the funds to get the book, consider supporting us by following us on social media or sharing this podcast. So today's topic is abortion. Abortion, for those who do not know, is the termination of pregnancies. According to the World Health Organization, abortion does happen in about three out of ten of all pregnancies. It's essentially a safe healthcare intervention unless it is done in an unsafe uh, way. It can be done by someone that does not know what they're doing, for example, or just the environment can be unhygienic. And it, there's a global estimate. This estimate is from between 2010 and 2014 that about 45% of all abortions are unsafe. What makes it so dangerous, essentially? Unsafe abortions can lead to a number of complications. Think of an incomplete abortion, for example. So this means that still some of the, the tissues of pregnancy is left in the uterus. And an unsafe abortion can lead to very heavy bleeding. Uh, it can lead to infection, things like piercing of the uterus and, and also damaging of internal organs. This, this is really unsafe. And it leads to death in, in women. And it's preventable that. And it, it can be that abortion, unsafe abortion happens due to stigma and be related to culture or perhaps religious stigma. It can also be that a country, as we see now in the uh, United States, there's a lot of states outlawing uh, abortion, so making it illegal even finding women high sums of money because they have had an abortion. And the reason uh, behind an abortion can be numerous. A lot of times, a lot of uh, abortions are ended because there's something wrong with the baby. Think of uh, deforming, things like organs uh, forming outside of the body, things like the heart forming outside of the body, which, uh, I mean, how can you expect a human being to have life? With their, with their heart being grown outside of their body. So because of deformities, it can also be because of uh, things like rape. Perhaps the, the woman got uh, pregnant because of rape and they want to, for this reason, uh, terminate the pregnancy, which as a woman I find completely understandable because not every woman is capable of bringing a child into this world that will be reminding them of such a horrific event. And let's think about it for a second. So you brought this child in, in, in the world that was a result of rape of, or perhaps incest, and you are then resenting this child, which this child will feel, and they won't only feel it once they are born, they already start feeling it while you are pregnant. And this has all kinds of mental repercussions for the child. Uh, 
And I, I do find it, I want to say funny, but it's not really funny, right? So I find funny that these people uh, in government are finding the time to uh, police women's body, what they can or cannot do uh, in terms of pregnancy. But once these children are born with deformities or they're born into um, situations where they are unwanted or they are born in a family that is in uh, living with financial difficulties and can't really take care of the children and the children then end up in things like the, the child care system and are, as a result, unhappy in life, these children are not taken care of anymore. So I, I beg that if you're going to spend time to police women's body, that they, that they have to bring these, these children into the world, that also find the time to then take care of the children that are brought into the world as a result of your laws. And also that really outlawing abortion doesn't do much in terms of the number of abortions that take place. It just makes women have to go through really unsafe situations uh, for themselves and ended up in, in women uh, dying of uh, deaths that can be prevented. So... I do hope that by putting this out there and also listening to the story of Kelsey that I'll be interviewing today on her own experience with abortion and the repercussions uh, thereof and how she dealt with her uh, PTSD as a result of this abortion and the wonderful work that she is doing now for other women in a similar situation so they don't have to go through the same things that she went through. I do hope that putting it out there, that we can reach some of these people that are making it their life's work to police a woman's body, that they, that they think a little bit differently about what they're doing. But more importantly, that we reach people out there that are going through this situation and need help, need support, um, that they can find this in an organization such as Kelsey's or organization, which is a global organization, that they can find the support that they need as a result of this. So without any further ado, let's go right into the interview. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining. Uh, so, yeah, we're exploring uh, stories of vulnerabilities this season. So what is the story of vulnerability that you want to share with us? Yeah, the story of vulnerability that I would want to share with you guys is surrounding my book that I wrote, Face Everything in Rise. It is the story of my abortion with our daughter at 18 weeks. Do you want me to go ahead and tell the story? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was at 17 weeks pregnant, we 
found out that our daughter had osteogenesis imperfecta type 2, which is the lethal form of brittle bone disease. So mm-hmm. all of the bones in her body were broken. Her lung or her ribs were breaking in on her lungs and her heart and she was suffering and there was a chance that her condition could take my life too so we made the difficult choice to terminate the pregnancy my husband and I made the decision together and it was incredibly hard the laws in the United States make it harder right Mm -hmm during the day of the procedure, because it's a full day long procedure at that stage of pregnancy, they asked me six times if I wanted to go through with the procedure, trying to talk me out of it, which is their job. Like Mm -hmm. they, that is part of the law is that they try to talk you out of it. You know, deep down in my heart, did I want to be there? No, but who, who really wants to be there in that position? Nobody. But, you know, I knew it was something I needed to do to, and her suffering and and saved my life. So that happened. There was also the fact that they give you something called midazolam. It's a drug that makes you sleepy and is supposed to make you forget what was going on. But because I, they made me sleepy every time I would fall asleep, I would stop breathing So they had to keep waking me up during the procedure. So I remember everything that happened. And it's because of the laws, you know, the fact that you can't be in a traditional hospital for an abortion. You have to be in a clinic Mm -hmm. that they can't fully anesthetize you and make you put you fully out. So I was traumatized by seeing her body in parts. Right. You know, it so... You know, that was one of the problems with the laws that were wrapped around us. Also, the fact that during the final stage of the procedure, they did not let my husband come back into the room with me for the worst part of it because they didn't want him traumatized, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the the laws that we've got here are causing harm to Mm -hmm. to folks. and. You know, I developed post-traumatic stress disorder from the trauma that was associated with it because of, you know, the laws that were surrounding it. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me a long time to find support. And, you know, in my book, it talks about, you know, me being suicidal because I lost a child and because I didn't have my post-traumatic stress under control. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly hard. And so, you know, from that, I, you know, I got some help. I, it took me a while. Like I said, part of the reason why was because, you know, when you go to a clinic and you have an abortion, they give you four phone numbers and they say, don't stray from these four phone numbers for support. And it's, you know, the suicide hotline, Mm -hmm. the abortion support hotline, which is a lot like the suicide hotline. They give you a number for a psychiatrist in Overland Park, which is three hours away from where I lived at the time. And then they give you the after hours phone number for the clinic, because if you 
if something goes wrong, if you're in like incredible pain or if your bleeding is funny or something like that, that if you go to an emergency room, they won't know how to treat you because they don't, they're not experienced with that kind of procedure. So those are the four phone numbers you get for support after you have an abortion. And it was incredibly hard because I, you know, I frequented that those phone numbers, but the thing is that there was no long-term support and no like mental health support other than medication. So I strayed off the list and I contacted what I thought was a abortion support group. It was a anti-choice organization that ambushed me with a pastor telling me that, you know, we might pray for your baby, but you're going to go to hell. And yeah, so that was also deeply scarring. I also had, um, you know, I wanted to have my daughter's ashes blessed because we got a tiny little bit of ashes back. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I contacted seven churches to like have her ashes blessed, have a small service for her. And all seven churches said no, because she was aborted. They would not honor her that way. That just baffles me. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. It's awful. It's, you know, what level of humanity are you that you have a grieving mom a baby that was taken too, you know, had to be taken too soon. And you're not going to, you know, I'm, I'm clearly reaching out for God and they clearly smacked my hand away. Yeah. So it took me another two months to find a psychologist to mm-hmm. help me with my, my stuff because I was, I was scared at that point to reach out to anybody. Of course, yeah. And so with the help of a psychologist and then just several years of therapy, and then I went into doing EMDR therapy, which is a special kind of therapy for post-traumatic stress. Yes, you fo- follow like fingers and it's rapid eye movement. Yeah. Um, so with that and the fact that Texas introduced this heartbeat bill, I got angry enough and focused enough that I wrote my book and it came out, it came pouring out of me in like 15 to 20 pages at a time. Right. And, and, you know, I finally was near the end of finishing my book. And I went to the Women's March in, in Kansas City in October. And it, I held a sign up for Hope and I that said, you know, I, my baby was suffering. And I would have died, you know, this is the truth surrounding abortion, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was scared because it's a pretty inflammatory sign. But what I found was, you know, people held their hands to their hearts when they saw my sign. And then they would come and ask me about it. They would embrace me physically and figuratively. They, you know, asked you know, had me tell them my story and some of them prayed with me for hope. It was really a beautiful 
healing moment for me because that was the first time that we shared our story out loud because Mm -hmm. up until this point, only my parents and my husband and I knew about the abortion. Everybody else knew that we, you know, we were pregnant and then the story was that we miscarried because of her condition because Mm -hmm. we didn't want to deal with shame on top of grief. And with the book coming out, we did something I call a truth tour (laughs) and told everybody what really happened. And luckily, everybody was very warm and loving and embraced um, us, even though we'd had to keep it under wraps for so long. Right. Oh, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned a specific law called the, the heartbeat law. Yeah. Can you explain a bit more what this is for me or anyone else? So the heartbeat bill is a bill specifically in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And basically it makes it so that at six weeks pregnant, which is typically before anyone knows that they're pregnant. um, After six weeks, you can no longer have an abortion. And if you do have an abortion, Like if you travel outside of the state to have an abortion, or if you somehow have one in the state, there is a $10,000 bounty that is placed on you. Wow. Yeah. And several other states are adopting this since the war in Ukraine and uh, Russia started. Five different other states have copied the heartbeat bill and have passed the legislature because they're, you know, they're keeping everybody focused over here. Of course. Yeah, so they're sliding the the stuff through. And the state that I'm in, Missouri, is even going so far as to criminalizing if you get an abortion outside of the state. Right. So it will go on your permanent, you know, your record. Why do you think that these these people in, in government find it so important to, I find what it is essentially is policing women's bodies and what they can or cannot do with it. Why do you think this is like a thing that it's so prominent over there? For some reason, you know, people over here have this whole slut shaming kind of story surrounding abortion. They're thinking that, you know, women are going out to the club and, sleeping around and then they need, you know, they wind up pregnant and they need an abortion. And if, if people are out there, that's, you know, that's their choice. It's their body. But far and wide, what I've found is that it's not those women who are needing the healthcare. It's women like me who need it for medical reasons. It's women who are raped, people who have you know, cases of incest. There was even a woman who, whose name is Anna from Texas, mm-hmm. who was pregnant and at 18 weeks, her water broke right. and they did an ultrasound and her baby was malformed and was dying. And she needed the procedure that I had. And because she was in the state of Texas, she couldn't have it. And so she had to wait and hope her body recognized the pregnancy had ended, mm-hmm. hope that her body miscarried, and hope that she didn't get a massive infection that could kill her. Right. 
So how what happened in the end with uh, Anna? She's she's alive still, from what I understand. I hope that if she's listening somewhere, that she you know reaches out because I would you know love to to just share battle store battle wounds with her. But you know it's just you know thank goodness it worked out okay. But you know not everyone's going to be that lucky. No, of course not. And it's it's what you say. It's very incredibly dangerous, especially in such situations where it's not even medically ethical not to do it for for the the women involved it's just it keeps baffling me that people think that they they from all of the issues that truly need laws and these types of things to be tackled that laws policing women's bodies and especially when it's a medical procedure of importance to ban that instead of doing something i'd say for poverty right there's like a <laughs> A ton of other things they could be doing with their time besides policing healthcare that's absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. If anything, they should be turning around and investing the time and money that they're using to argue to advance the procedure. So right. that way it's it's less hard on on women. Just it's nuts. <laughs> so how how has this this experience like affected you in your daily life up until a year ago it you know i still get flashbacks even today luckily they're regulated with medicine and and with therapy and things like that but up until a year ago it ruled my life with depression we got pregnant again after hope she was a surprise. She beat the birth control. And that was incredibly triggering because it was my own body that I had trauma with. You know, those same symptoms of pregnancy and things like that were incredibly triggering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was it was very hard and it still caused me a lot of struggle with work and stuff like that. Because, you know, memory fog comes with it, just being jumpy and and scared and reactive in general, because you're reliving your worst moments all the time. Right. Yeah. So better now. And because of everything that happened to me, I founded a nonprofit. Right. I saw, I, was, I read a little bit, it was called The Green Desk. Yes. It's- more about it? Yeah, so it's it's from the Green Desk. If you go to the Green Desk, it's actually a work share space in New okay. York. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so it's called from the Green Desk, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because I I literally work from a Green Desk. That's where I r- wrote my book from, mm-hmm. and it is a nonprofit that is yeah we do coaching as well as group therapy for women who have had abortions lost children or miscarried and it really is surrounding building that community that I didn't have whenever I had my own procedure and the thought is that we get added to that list of phone numbers that you get after procedure and also you know as we talk and get connected with OBs for women who have lost children we become that 
point of contact. You know, of course, you know, for the coaching, I'm not a licensed psychologist, but, you know, there is a lot of value in peer-to-peer interactions with people who have been there. Also, the services are free. So if someone needs just something and Mm -hmm. is struggling, they can reach out and, not have to worry about payment because that's something else that we struggled with was I worked for a nonprofit. My husband worked for the school district when uh, everything went down with hope. And so we couldn't afford like, you know, the psychologist every, every week. So this coaching program, as well as the group therapy, which the group therapy does have a licensed psychologist running, it helps envelop them in a community of healing. And then we also have a blog and then hopefully a podcast towards the end of um, March that we'll be developing. And then we, in the end of April, we will release something called narrative meditation. Which is taking the layers of grief and the layers of trauma and guiding people through writing it out, pushing it out of themselves so it's not just living and harvesting in your body, but really putting it out into the the universe, putting it out into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, if they write their own book, that's awesome. If they, mm-hmm. you know, if it just helps get it out of them so that it's no longer a burden that they're carrying, that's the whole point of it yes i mean i definitely agree that that writing and in some cases even like art therapy is really a healing for i mean a lot lot of human experiences and i can imagine dealing with ptsd it's it's something that really helps i was going to say you may not be like a, a clinical psychologist or anything but here in the Netherlands we will call you an experience expert I mean someone that went through the experience themselves and and to some extent overcame it and then is able to help other people to yeah overcome it themselves and so is is your a nonprofit only in your state or is it in the multiple states so we're able to serve worldwide because we it's a digital platform. We use right. Zoom. So we're able to reach anyone where they're at. That's great. That's it's yeah. good to have that. Like I can imagine if you're going through something like this and you in your own place where you're living, you don't have something like this, that it's quite handy. Uh, I mean that's the one of the beauties of technology nowadays. I yeah. Mean, even this interview wouldn't be possible without it, right? So yeah, it's really beautiful. So how how did this change the way you see yourself? Just going through this, writing the book, and setting up your nonprofit from before that to to afterwards. How how did it change the way you see yourself? Yeah, it's really been a free, freeing experience. It's left. It's helped pull a lot of that burden off of me. You know, I feel like I've been, you know, the experience breaks you open, but I feel like the br- the break has been to as cheesy a metaphor it is, as it is. It's like a metamorphosis. It's like mm-hmm. because I feel like a butterfly. You know, I feel like I've emerged a stronger person finally from the the difficulty that I had. And I think that the deepest level of 
of love and of ability for me is to give back to people who have been in the same situation and need it. I think that's the strongest way that I can remember hope and make sure that is to make sure that I'm helping other people through it. And now how long has the organization been active? We've just started in December of 2021. Yeah. So brand new, still trying to get our 501c3 officially established, but I mean, we don't, like I said, we don't charge for our services. So we're still, we're still definitely a nonprofit, definitely not making any money off of it. Yes. So. <laughs> and, and that assumes, I mean, it's a short period of time, but in that short period of time, are you already reaching a lot of people? We've reached quite a few. Um, still working on pushing out our boundaries and things like that. It's hard for places like Planned Parenthood to focus on what we're doing because of the war on women that's happening right now and the war on reproductive rights. And so something I'm doing to try to help on that end is I'm taking my book and printing it at cost. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing something called the 50 States Challenge, where I send my book to all of the senators and the governors of each state, as well as our Supreme Court justices and our president. Right. And I send it to them and try to rewrite this narrative that they have in their head about reproductive rights and who needs abortions. And, you know, it's, it costs like 30 bucks to sponsor a state. And so the response has been really good with folks donating to send books to their states. You know, it's just, it's not about selling books. Cause like I said, I'm printing them at cost. Right. Um, it's about getting the narrative out there. And if we put the hand, put the books in their hands, they have is on them and their humanity to read it. If they read it, it's on them and their humanity, the choices they make next. It's yeah. not a question of if they knew it's a question of they knew and they still made this decision. Yeah. Have you had any reactions from these uh, governmental people so far? Well, they, the books haven't gone out yet. My goal is to get them out by May. I've, I'm about a third of the way towards my goal so far as printing and things like that. Okay. So by May, when elections start, they will have the books. Right. Okay. I'm really curious how how and if they will react to this once they react i hope it's it's for the better and not kind of like for the worse or not at all kind yeah of so you never know they're so unpredictable sometimes i think uh, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think it's it's really beautiful what you have done with your with your story of basically suffering through through having to to do this abortion and now that you are helping people and so for everyone for anyone listening out there and they think maybe they're in a similar situation and they need um, your help how can they how they can they contact you how can they get to your foundation yeah so they can find us at from the green desk.com they can also reach us on Facebook. I have an author page there, Kelsey Walker, or on Instagram, we're at from underscore the underscore green 
underscore desk. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I have to remember all the underscores. You know, even if they're not so sure about reaching out themselves yet and just want to follow us just to see what we're all about, we have posts almost daily to just talk about the blog, but talk about healing. This week was about the different services that from the green desk provides. So just reach out. Don't wait to reach out to get help. Make sure that you contact us, contact somebody to start telling your truth. Because once you start telling your truth, your heart will get set free and you will have this huge weight lifted off of you. Thank you very much for sharing your story of, of vulnerability with us. I can imagine it's it's not easy to go around and, and having to tell your story all over and over again, especially you know dealing with PTSD. It's already like repeating in in your in your head in a way. And I commend you for having written it down and setting up your organization to help other people that are in this situation and to essentially give them a platform that you yourself didn't get to enjoy. Thank you very much, Kelsey, for joining me today. And on that note, closing off the Poison Honey podcast. Thank you for listening. Till next time. 